Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at ceiling decibels. I'm your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 45. So for those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like, who would be the first pick in a fictional player NFL draft? Why did Russell Crowe's popularity fall off in the mid-2000s? And is the grilled cheese sandwich they make in the movie Chef as delicious as it looks on screen? No quote is too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. So before we delve into the topic at hand today, I want to start with five solid minutes of Seinfeld level, you know, what's the deal kind of daily observations. So I learned this yesterday. Did you know that every odd number in existence has the letter E in it? I mean, let your brain chomp chomp on that for a minute. I'll start you off. It's like one, three, five. Now just take take a couple seconds and keep going and see how far you get. And then you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And you kind of furrow your brow and you get that thinking face and you get to like 21 or so. And then you feel foolish because how could you not have seen that before? It's just this weird little detail thing that just blew my mind. And I hope it blows yours too. And then you get to share it with someone and you get to look smart in front of them because that's always fun. But I'm a little sad today because I only have 10 episodes left on the show Community. And it's a show that obsessively quotes and reenacts every classic movie TV scene from the past 40 years. It feels like it's exclusively made just for me. Like even on small throwaway lines, they mimic deep cuts from classic movies. There's one character, Annie, who needs to get up some banners for a Sadie Hawkins kind of dance at the community college. And someone asks, you know, who do you need to help? And her eyes bulge and her jaw tightens and she screams, everyone, which is from 1994's Leon the Professional, where Gary Oldman is this tweaked out DEA agent. And it's just this, it's this really great line that if you remember the movie, it just sends chills down your spine. And I love Gary Oldman so much. So anytime I get to talk about him too, that's fantastic. He's probably the best shapeshifter actor of our generation. I mean, if you don't believe me, watch Harry Potter and the... Goblet of Fire, and then True Romance back-to-back. He can do the subdued father figure just as convincingly as the Rastafarian murderous drug dealer. So, I mean, I hope he lives forever. He's just a treasure. He's done William Churchill. He's done evil space mafia person named Zork, I think was the dude's name. He's been a creepy senator. He's CIA spies. He does it all. And, I mean, back to community, though, on one episode, they have a game of paintball that gets, like, overly serious because it's a huge prize. One random character, not even one of the main characters, dies. And he, as he's dying, he just goes, all these moments will be lost in time, like tears and rain. Time to die. And that's freaking Blade Runner. That's the robot death speech at the end of Blade Runner, which is improvised, by the way, by the actor. Unbelievable. And it's, like, the most epic death speech of all time. And community kind of knows that its fans ooze with this nerddom and it rewards it second to second. And it's just, it's just serotonin release after serotonin release. Like my brain can't even handle it. Plus they do unnecessary montage shout outs to Real Genius and Rocky. And this happens like every other episode. They just love montages. And the creators are Dan Harmon and the Russo brothers who clearly love pop culture and I love them. And I mean, they ended up defining generational shows after this too. Dan Harmon founded with uh, Justin Rowland, Rick and Morty, which I have, I think five Rick and Morty tattoos. I mean, and it's one of the funniest, smartest, nihilist uh, cartoon shows ever. 
And the Russo brothers directed all the Avenger movies. So, I mean, you can't get bigger than that. But, I mean, this is the show before they, before they got big. And they have these quirky 21-minute episodes that just pay homage to the best movies of the last 40 years. How great is that? But uh, that's not, like, the main fact I have today that's my favorite. Uh, it comes from my Spotify listener analytics. It's really cool. It's like I can break down the number of listeners, when you guys listened, male, female. And lastly, it's age demographics. And they start, you know, 0 to 17, 18 to 22, 23 to 27, 28 to 34, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, you get up to, you know, the age of 60. And you would think, you know, age 60 to 90 or 95. Do you know what they go to? They go from 60 to, wait for it, 150 years of age. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the category right there, 150. So who in the name of Carl Malone decided that 150 was the cutoff? Well, why is that a good idea? I mean, like, who were they going to offend by going 140 or 130? What was the approval process? Or what did they not want to offend someone? I mean, so I looked it up. So as of today, the oldest living person uh, on the planet is Kane Tanaka of Japan. And he or she, I don't, I'm not sure who it is, is 117 years old and 197 days. So they are giving a 33-year cushion in this case. So I want to know why. I want to know how. I want to know what happened. Spotify, I need answers. And it just, I mean, maybe Spotify is just betting that people are going to live longer. So it does add to my confidence that I'm going to live to 175 years old. So that, that's a bonus. <laughs> but it's, it's a fascinating deep dive to another, for another time, you know. Age, like agelessness and the belief that we can live forever. Maybe Bezos, Jeff Bezos will live to 200 and inspire me to do it. But for today, I want to smother myself in another topic that is near and dear to my heart. So there's nothing better than when a topic flows naturally from your soul, like those plastic first grade scissors that just slice through a fresh piece of construction paper. Can you smell it? I can smell it right now. It just smells, smells like innocent youth and just joy. And this topic is only the second time I've gone negative in the long and storied career of Max Volume, because I generally love all things TV and movies, and I can't help but gush. Even if it's good, bad, I can find, if it's bringing me joy, even I can make fun of it, then I'm going to gush about it. But I did notice that my one harsh podcast on the dumpster fire that is Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings trilogy got more responses from all my friends and family than all my other podcasts combined. So why not light this uh, instigating candle and burn some bridges? Let's do it. So, uh, and also side note, I still think the trilogy sucks. You're not, you're not going to argue otherwise. It's three foot hobbits against, you know, ogres. It doesn't make any sense. That bird that they fly at the end, why couldn't they have flown it the entire way there to Mount Doom? Trusting Gollum, give me a break. And just an eye on top of a, on top of a castle. That's what the bad guy is. Like, pfft. I don't know, just just now, just a whole lot of now. And no one died. No one important died. Boromir died. And Boromir sucked. Like, no one, there was no consequences. Or like one of the elf captains died too, but no important uh, guy on the side of good died. So that's, that, that's no stakes. So get out of there with the trilogy stuff. I'll, I'll do another one. I'll do a second one on why it sucks. I'll go movie to movie and see which one sucks more. But moving on to the topic at hand. So if it's not clear by now, uh, I'm going to clarify for everyone. I have undying love for the show The Wire on HBO, which ran from 2002 to 2008. And it's these five 
epic seasons that investigate the inner workings of the warring factions of the Baltimore drug trade and the West Baltimore Police Department. And also the political involvements, uh, the newspapers, the educational system. I mean, it was just a really encompassing uh, deep dive into that area of, you know, depravity and, you know, poverty. And it was grounded in reality by the creator, David Simon, who worked as a Metro reporter in the area for, I think, over a decade. And Ed Burns was the other creator, and he was a homicide detective in West Baltimore and also an inner city teacher for young kids. So they created this brutally honest world that pulled zero punches about the realities and horrors of this area in the USA. I mean, it was crazy. It was very eye-opening at the time. But, however, there is one character that got to skate on his charm and charisma into the iconic TV character Hall of Fame, and I believe his ascension is not fully deserved. So I am talking about the stick-up boy extraordinaire, the man with the shotgun and the facial scar, Omar Devon Little. So first, back it up before you get your pitchforks and, you know, your uh, flames on sticks and all, all right? I'm not Frankenstein. You don't chase me out of town. So first and foremost, I want to preface this by saying Omar is a wonderful TV creation. He's played incredibly by Michael K. Williams. And not only was Omar clever and cunning in his kind of maneuvering heist throughout the series, he had some of the all-time best wire quotes. I mean, come at the king, you best not miss, is a tombstone-level mantra. I mean, I could put that on my tombstone. So, and also very importantly, he was the first non-flamboyant homosexual television depiction of an openly gay kind of normal guy on mainstream television. So I can't understate the significance of him being a character who normalized homosexuality to millions at home via their uh, televisions. So that was super important. So my argument about him being an all-time character is strictly from being, uh, from his character being kind of foolish and cavalier and how he navigated robbing drug dealers in West Baltimore. Because the viewers supposed to, I mean, everyone who talks about the show has him as this unassailable mastermind. And no, he wasn't. This is 10 years plus in the making of me kind of grinding on this. So let's get into it. And also there's a podcast on Spotify called Way Down in the Hole. It's a wire podcast. And, you know, they're putting Omar as this messiah and this, you know, genius. And they're just crapping on Stringer Bell and other characters for their mistakes. Omar makes a ton of mistakes, okay? So this is, this is just me ranting and raving and putting him in his proper place as a great but not all-time, you know, mastermind on a show, okay? So he's good but not great, so I'm going to take him down a peg. So first of all, when Omar, Omar has like one of the dangerous, most dangerous jobs in the world, even in the show, he's just robbing drug dealers. And so when he does this, he doesn't ever wear a mask. Like he wants you to know that it's him robbing you, which is, I mean, that's just a boner play right there. Just don't do that. I mean, but he loves doing it with flair. I mean, when he robs a convenience store once, he asks for a pack of Newports while he's robbing the guy. And he gives him exact, I mean, he gives him a 20 and he wants change because he just finds it amusing. You know what I mean? He wants to normalize the robbery in kind of a funny way. Or there's an, a, there's another scene where he's at an appliance repair shop, which is a drug front. And he asks the owner, Prop Joe, to fix a broken clock while he's proposing a drug deal while holding a gun at Prop Joe. And later he comes back for the clock and he pays for it. And he's, he's genuinely concerned more for the clock than he is for the drug deal. He's like, how's she ticking? It's like, this is ridiculous. It's fun TV, but it's not, I mean, it's not the best way to do this extremely dangerous job. I mean, come on, Omar. So, I mean, he paints the stadium sized target on his back from the second we meet him on the show. I mean, everyone knows who he is, 
what his deal is. He doesn't really hide. He kind of just walks around with a shotgun and a trench coat and uh, body armor all over West Baltimore. I mean, it's crazy. So this leads to the death of his first uh, of his first partner in the show and also his lover. And this is a guy named Brandon. And Brandon's brutally tortured and murdered by the Barksdale drug crew because they stole from him, which is logical. I mean, you steal their stuff, they're going to try to make a message of it. But Omar sees that as a personal slight. And Omar, I mean, Brandon, the way Brandon got caught too, Omar lives like a hobo. He keeps moving from abandoned house to abandoned house to avoid detection from those he steals from because he's in the city that he's stealing from. But he never tells Brandon, hey, don't go out to the arcades and play at a pinball machine, you know, kind of. And he's kind of a big star around the pinball machine. He's shown off and all. And of course, someone's going to see him. And that's how Brandon gets spotted and murdered. You're not going to tell your partner kind of your I mean, if you're going to live like a hobo, you know, kind of underneath the radar when you're not stealing stuff. When you tell your partner, hey, don't go out and flamboyantly walk around and, you know, flash cash and, you know, I mean, uh, be out in the open. I mean, come on, Omar. You got you to gotta give advice to the people that you love if you want them to stay alive. And later, when he goes after strictly the Barksdale stash houses, uh, he's event to avenge Brandon. He keeps coming at the Barksdales, even though they've added tons of extra muscle to prepare for Omar because they're expecting him because he keeps on coming and coming even though there's much easier scores for Omar to take all over the city. But no, Omar has to keep on the warpath. And when this happens, one of his new boyfriends, Dante, asks, why, you know, why we got to have the hard scores? And Omar doesn't even look at him. And he just goes, because. And Dante goes, because? And he goes, indeed. It's like, he's not even, he's not even going to give him an answer. This is his show. He's running it and he's stubborn as a mule. And that's the end of the conversation. And because he keeps shaking the beehive, he keeps getting uh, people around him killed. So in this new crew where he has Kimmy, Tasha, and Dante, and they're, you know, pulling off heist on the Barksdale crew, uh, Tasha gets killed in the crossfire of one of their, uh, one of their uh, drug rips. So, I mean, everyone around him, there's, you got to notice a pattern, man, that you're the, I mean, Tasha's dead, Brandon's dead. And finally, his father figure, who's also his banker kind of in town, is this blind bartender named Butchie. And Butchie ends up getting tortured and murdered to bring Omar out of hiding when he robs the Stanfield, Stanfield crew, Marlowe's crew. And Butchie dies in a brutal way, too. I mean, this is the second torture victim out of all of uh, Omar's, you know, cohorts. So he's shot in both knees. Ouch. Uh, they make him, they force him to drink Jack Daniels. Rough choice of alcohol for when you're being shot in both knees. And they smash the bottle on his head. And like I said, they're pouring liquor down his throat. It's just a really brutal way to go. And he doesn't give up Omar at all. And Omar ends up still coming out. I mean, come on. It's like, if you're around Omar, you, it's going to be death and destruction for you. So like three of your closest confidants are being brutally murdered. And it's, guess what? It sucks being your friend. You're a bad friend, Omar. So yeah, just, he gets an F for friendship. Not for standing for friendship. He gets a failure. Like, hey, want to be my friend? You might get brutally murdered, but I'll, I'll avenge you. And then I'll get other people killed. It's like, no, that sounds, that sounds terrible, Omar. Let's do something different. And that's the crazy thing too. Omar, when he pulls off heists, he's willing to wait and kind of, he kind of just lays in wait and watches a situation with the drug dealers for days on end to pick up patterns. So he's very smart. He's very focused. He's kind of got this Neil McCulley from Heat kind of focus and uh, seriousness to him. But when someone wrongs him or someone breaks his code, he just can't help 
but go after the more di- difficult score for the moral value of it. It's like you're robbing drug dealers, dude. Like, I put the put the moral values to side and you know survive till the next day. So, I mean, that's my that's my first part. But next, my biggest qualm with Mr. Little is this one part of his you know moral code and his in uh, his uh, his reputation and all. So he gets framed for murder by Marla Stanfield's drug crew because he steals from them and they want him to be, to be in jail and just be done with him. And so he gets put in jail for a murder he didn't commit. And he knows he won't survive a week in prison because he's robbed half of the people, half of the dudes in there. And there's a great scene, by the way, where he gets shanked, but a couple of his buddies put phone books wrapped around his stomach. So he could, when he got shanked, it didn't matter. But he calls in a favor from this detective, Bunk Moreland, to investigate the case for further to prove his innocence. In this one case, he has murdered other people before. So it's not, it's not crazy to think, hey, if you murdered other people, you should probably be in jail for a murder, even though if this isn't the specific murder you did. But Bunk being Bunk, you know, being honorable, knowing that in this case, Omar definitely didn't do the murder, he investigates and he gets Omar off. And all he asks for in return from Mo- Omar is no more bodies, no more comebacks, no more get evens. He's very clear. He says all three of those things. He's like, bro, I got you out of jail. Let's let, I mean, let make my job less difficult. I don't need any more bodies. I did the, I did right by you. You would have been dead if it wasn't for me. So I want your word and less than a season. I mean, he gives him his word. He's like, yeah, I got it. You know I mean? I totally understand. And Omar up until this point is all about his word, the code of the streets, all that, all that stuff. Less than a season later, after Butchie is tortured, as I said before, and killed, Omar comes out of hiding and starts going after the Stanfield crew, killing people, uh, blowing up stash houses, just murdering on a, on a crazy Terminator level. And normally this show is all about double crosses and lies, so this would be okay. But Omar, like I said, is the only steadfast believer about a man having a code. He says it over a dozen times on the show. He's like, how word is bond without a moral compass and truth your promises aren't, uh, aren't any good and you're not really a man. And here he is after being saved from imminent death by a detective who didn't even need to save him. He goes back on his word and starts another murder spree. Give me a break, Omar. I mean, what is your code worth then? Come on. I mean, does, what, why come back? I mean, you were out of the game. You were somewhere down south with a good-looking Hispanic dude giving candy to little kids and driving mopeds. You had to come back because, um, I mean, because Butchie was killed. I mean, Butchie's going to be dead either way. It doesn't matter. You, and plus, you're going back on your word, and your word is bond. So I'm upset with you. I'm upset with you, Omar Little. And this drives me insane. No one brings this up when it comes to Omar. They're just like, he looks cool with a shotgun. He seems like he's smarter when he's pulling off these heights than anyone else. But whatever. That's bonkers to me. And I just said, he's overrated as this noble, brilliant Robin Hood kind of figure. He's kind of a guy who contradicts himself and is handy with a shotgun. Okay, that's it. And you know, that's just that's enough. He's a good character, not great. But and you think that's it? No, there's more. There's more. I swear. There's a semi-trailer's worth of worth of more. There's a there's a mansion worth of more. There's Scrooge McDuck gold levels of more. So in this one episode, he breaks his leg after jumping from a fifth-story window. Which, by the way, is crazy to begin with that he survived a fifth floor jump by just uh, breaking his leg. That's more, that's TV padding, body armor. I don't believe that could actually happen. But I mean, I guess they can let it go for this one. 
but he got trapped on a fifth floor uh, condo by the Stanfield gang by being tricked into going there, by the way. So he failed completely on that one. He was outnumbered four to one. And he got one of Butchie's uh, bodyguards killed in that too. So there's another murder that's his fault. Okay, Omar, why am I so why am I so mad at a fictional stick-up boy from a drug show from 15 years ago? It's, it's interesting, but this is why I love TV. I get fired up for no reason. So he breaks his leg, and he escapes somehow though. But he doesn't lay low and heal like he should, which which would have been the right move for two reasons. Because one it would have kept the Stanfield crew guessing to where and when he was going to strike next. You know, they were getting driven crazy that they couldn't find him over a couple of days. Can you imagine if that was a couple of weeks or something? They'd go insane. And also, I mean, just being hobbled like that seriously limits his ability to exact revenge as this hobbled one leg death dealer. He's got a little crutch and he's kind of just hobbling along. He seems sweaty all the time. He seems, he seems like he's in rough shape and you know, he could have just laid low and then just healed back up and then came back as full force. But no, he has to go back right there because it's the honorable thing to do and the right thing to do and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, screw you, Omar. So while he's dragging around Baltimore on his busted wheel, you know what happens to him? He gets murdered, okay? The coolest guy who seems like he's got it all figured out, has a gun pointed on other people, always has the drop on everyone else, he gets killed. And who does he get killed by? It's not another bounty hunter. It's not someone smart who's in the game. It's not a kingpin. Do you know who he gets murdered by? A freaking nine-year-old in a convenience store in broad daylight while he's buying a pack of Newport cigarettes, okay? The nine-year-old just literally just comes up and pow, just shoots him in the back of the head. And no one on this show gets killed in such an embarrassing, sloppy, self-inflicted way. And there's dozens of main characters that get killed but it's usually because someone has the one-upmanship on them. You know, they're more clever or, uh, you know, they waited him out or they played their hand right. You know what I mean? He just wasn't looking out and bam, a, a, a toddler, not a toddler, a third grader. Is that right? Second, third grader just came up, pointed his gun way up high because he can't even reach the head and pow, just shot him in the, shot him in the head. So if you're that good, you're that clever, you're that smart, you're above everyone else, a nine-year-old, who clearly hadn't killed anyone before. He just knew he saw Omar and he knew that people wanted him dead and pop. So, I mean, is that your King Wire fans? You get, you get popped by a three foot child while buying a pack of Newports? Ridiculous. Okay, it's ridiculous. I mean, I just can't, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Uh, I mean, it's like, like when you watch LeBron in the 2011 uh, NBA Finals and a five foot six JJ Barea was guarding him and he had like four points. It's like, is that your king? Is that who it is? Although I love Le- LeBron, so that's <laughs> that's not a great analogy for my pride. But that's the same thing. It's I mean, it's someone that you expected so much more from, and he just drops the ball, drops the ball, Omar. Now you're dead. You know what I mean? How's that feel? And also, I mean, before his death or his demise. He snitches to the police on crimes he never actually saw just to exact revenge on the Barksdale crew. He says he saw the daytime murder of this uh, janitor from this uh, hitman named Bird. And he wasn't even there. He just knows that Bird was part of torturing Brandon from back in, the, from back in season one. So this seems like a giant street code no-no. Doesn't seem like anyone else does this stuff. He just he plays by his own rules. He, I mean, and he'll, he'll quote the rules when they help him but he'll go against them when he just doesn't care. And, you know, you think Homer is like nice, caring guy for those around him? No, his grandmother, who has nothing to do with this, 
she got shot at for just being with him at a church service and had no idea why, almost got killed. He had to push into her cab and she got glass all in her hands and needed stitches. And like I said, his chaos ripples out to those around him. He's not, you know, you think he's just do-gooding and having, not do-gooding, but he's just a man alone, a man apart, and it, it doesn't affect anyone else. Well, guess what, Omar? You are, you are hurting the people around you. And the craziest thing is, he's worth at least heavy six figures, if not millions, the entire show. And he never knew when to quit or at least upgrade his life out of, the, out of squatting and rotting dumps. Like, I like my geniuses to grow as people. And he never, he never wanted to stop ripping and running in West Baltimore with a shotgun in his right hand his bulletproof vest and trench coat. And he just liked whistling the cheese stands alone as everyone kind of cowered in fear and said, Omar's coming, Omar's coming. You know, that's how he got off. That's kind of how he enjoyed his life. And he just wanted to rob another stash house after another stash house. He didn't have a, he was like the Joker said, he's just a dog chasing cars. He doesn't know what to do when he catches one. So, I mean, grow up, Omar, adapt, change, you know what I mean? Be a better you. Because as Winston, Winston Churchill once said, to improve is to change, and to be perfect is to change often. And Omar is the antithesis of the sage advice. And in the end, it cost him everything, and those around him everything. So that's my stance for the overrated stick-up boy from West Baltimore. So I hope you enjoyed. Hope you're not too steaming mad. And if you are, you know what? Too bad, because those are the facts. Later.